Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Winningham. Now that you have found us on one of the 6,000 podcast providers that we do appear, make sure that you hit the subscribe or follow button. Also, we recommend or, well, we hope that you rate us. Give us a five-star rating that helps us get the content out to more people. Also, check out the other 14 podcasts in our network, including our two newest ones, Out for the Count, Unboxing and MMA, and also the Chamber podcast on fitness and performance, hosted by Chris Chambers, Shea Tab, and Zach Duarte. For your Miami Heat content, check out Miami Heat Beat. And for Dolphins content, check out Fish Tank and Three Yards Per Carry. Now, today we're going to do an NBA episode. Haven't done one of these in a little while. We're going to talk to somebody who is familiar with the Miami Heat, although he fled from this area about seven years ago. Our friend Kevin Artovitz from ESPN. You can also find him at ESPN the Magazine. And you've probably heard about his, well, because everybody has, his Top Chef podcast called Pack Your Knives on Food, which I think would probably be more interesting to our listeners than anything we're going to talk about today. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we want to start here. Um, before we get to the current NBA, and we know you have a lot of ideas about tweaking it and fixing it and making it better. We want to get to some of those today. But you were here for one year in Miami for one of the craziest years in modern sports history um, when the ESPN decided to create a heat index and, and send three of you guys over here, in addition to Mike Wallace, who was already here, to cover the Miami Heat and that circus. Do you have a couple of memories from that season that always sort of stick out to you that maybe the average person doesn't know? I mean, I just remember the sheer shock of that first game in Boston, which you you were at. I mean, that was the first, uh, I mean, nationally televised LeBron's first regular season game. And just like, just just the event level of that arena feeling more imposing in, in terms of scope and size and stress than anything I'd seen the previous spring in Orlando versus Laker final, which, which seemed absolutely relatively uneventful. And it was, I think like the first inkling that like there was this game inside the game. Now the way we were going to cover these sports leagues, like the fact that that game had absolutely I mean, relatively little consequence. I mean, no regular season game means much of anything in an 82-game season. But it's like it, – it, that was just like the first inkling. It's not so much a memory. is like, okay, like Twitter was sort of starting to happen, social media. But like this is now the event. The event isn't the event. It's the atmospherics of the event. It's the anticipation of the event. It's the reality show quality of, you know, how is this going to play? Because, like, what we were really going to glean that night that we didn't already know. And, and I just, like, I just remember so many nights like that. Like, I mean, I think I think later that week, you and I witnessed sort of, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, like, the idea that there would be a podium for a regular season <laughs> game. After which players would, rather than just talk at the lockers, which has been the tradition since, you know, Athens, probably, you know, um, <laughs> athletes would be marched into this anteroom where a security guard would be waiting and Tim Donovan, um, the, the, the very professional uh, public relations um, vice president of the, of the Miami Heat would, would like sort of then, then sort of present them to us who would be sitting there as if it were a playoff game. And I just think that like the memories to me are not, not so much this, this crazy thing happened or it, it was just the sheer intensity of the entire season that like was more daunting than anything 
that you would ever find even in like in a really competitive conference final or final. It was just like nine months of that. Yeah, you know, I remember so many of those. Um, I mean, it wasn't just after games. It was that LeBron and Wade wouldn't do their practice interviews separately. That, that they had to do them together. So you, if you, you there would be this big horde in front of them, and if you asked one a question about the other, it was incredibly uncomfortable. It's like he's in the not only is he in the room, he's right next to him, and and you're asking LeBron about Wade's struggles with his knee, and there's Dwayne, and and so Dwayne's making faces as you're talking to LeBron. The one that I remember the most, Kevin, I don't know if you're at this game my guess is Wallace or, or Windhorse might have been at this one but in Milwaukee uh, oh that that dunk that dunk well not no not just the dunk everybody remembers the dunk and that was but the first season uh in, in Milwaukee I, I don't I guess it wouldn't I don't think it would have been that year because I can't remember what, what year the dunk was but they after they they did it outside the locker room the three of them Bosch actually was with them for that one which didn't happen often like Chris was always sort of the guy on the side and he was the guy who would stay and talk to you longer but the three of them came out and they set up standing mics for the three of them I mean it looked like they were like like three of the four tops like it was ridiculous that three of them, and 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 then somebody who covered Dwayne in high school came out to ask them ridiculous questions about I don't know it was like monkeys or something it had nothing to do with anything there were these weird events that happened all that year that, like you said, had nothing to do um, with the basketball itself. And, 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 you know, I don't think we'll ever, I, I've said before, I don't think we'll ever experience anything quite like how, that. How, because how, I, much, how much in, in the view well, of the you two know, of you, you know, go on, Kevin. You know, what's interesting about it is when I look back now relative to today, it doesn't seem all that radical. I mean, I think what made that season crazy was, again, like by today's standards, it wasn't that crazy. The truth of the matter is it was just the zero to 60 of it. Like, like that actually now is sort of the new normal. Like even when you go to places like Philadelphia where, you know, it's charismatic stars, they haven't even done anything yet. Like, like this is becoming sort of par for the course. I mean, LeBron's here in Los Angeles where I live now. And, you know, every night is just court. You can't even get into the locker room and like, you know, comfortably, but it was just like that was new to all of us, and I think to everyone. I think to the players, um, to the staff. I mean, I don't think Spo was like kind of completely like it took him a while. He's like, what the hell is going on here? And so I think that's what's crazy is like that is now the new normal. It's not that oh, it hasn't been like that since. Actually, I think it's been exactly like that since for everything, like politics, sports. Like in some ways, I mean, to me, that that sort of tighten this new standard mm-hmm. for just just saturation and it became the new normal right and i feel like it sort of serves as the precursor for everything right it serves as the precursor for exactly. if, if if you don't win a title you're nothing and that there's all there's all these narratives all the time and all these stories and i feel like the nba has kind of become this ridiculous narrative soaked entity that I don't think it was before the big three heat and the big three heat were probably the thing that kind of almost taught the NBA internet how to kind of experience everything. And I feel like now there's a, there's a thing every week last week, it was which Brooks is in the Memphis trade. (laughs) Like, like there's all these ridiculous things that happen and they happen all the time. Yeah. But I think as much as it's not kind of my bag and, you know, generationally we're different. Mm. I think a league to survive needs that because, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, is the live window between, for me, it's 4 p.m. Pacific and 10.30 p.m. Pacific. It's not enough. 
right? Like a league can't survive that way. I mean, not when nobody under the age of 30 is actually watching games themselves. I mean, I was talking to a friend whose son is this, quote, huge NBA fan. And so I asked this friend, like, so it's like, you know, how do you guys watch games? He's on the East Coast. Isn't late. He's like, oh, he doesn't really watch games. He just loves the NBA. Mm-hmm. And, like, and again, 40-something guy that I am, like, this does not even compute. What do you mean you like the league, <laughs> but you don't actually consume the product? And it was just kind of explained to me, and it's what you say. It's the narrative. Like, I think one of the reasons I think the NBA is succeeding, whereas I think, you know, baseball might be in trouble when you start looking at the median age of like the all-star game viewer for baseball is like 58 or 59. I mean, don't quote me on that, but um, is, uh, is the fact that you do need the sort of other 19 hours, 18 hours of a day consumed by something. And so you're talking about this, this deep subplot of a trade <laughs> where like they get the last names wrong or, or whatever the most provocative thing. One of the 20 biggest stars in the league has done on Instagram today. Mm. Um, or, or how does Devin Booker sort of avenging, you know, a tweet from Ennis Cantor from like last year. And it just sort of feeds the beast. I mean, I think, I mean, the truth of the matter is our lives depend on it too. Like I don't, I don't know that there's enough interest in what you and I see between 7.30 and 10 and then kind of transmit to someone who can pretty much go online and read the box score and see the game flow and take one look at the win probability line and be like, wow, that was kind of a crazy game. I mean, and we can sit there and do some AP style recitation of the box score or five things we saw or whatever, but I, I don't think that the kind of industrial complex survives without the narrative soaked sort of atmosphere that you, you spoke of as much as it's kind of oddly annoying and, 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 and just, it, it, it does sort of feed the beast. Well, and to that point uh, about this being round the clock, I mean, I, I remember distinctly being at a Whataburger drive through in Dallas uh, in 2011, where just scrolling Twitter and people are talking about, you know, the next game at two in the morning, uh, Dallas time. And then all of a sudden there's a tweet for LeBron now or never. I mean, this is at two in the morning, like central time, uh, you know, while, while all the writers are out. He's up, you know, tweeting now and never before. And it ended up being, you know, never, at least for now, because, you know, it it didn't go so well that next game. But but it is it's a round the clock enterprise. What I've always said um, that I found kind of fascinating about the way that you guys covered that team that year, because I was alone. I was with the Palm Beach Post and I had no backup. And I covered, I think, something like 80 out of the 82, plus all the playoff games was one of the most taxing. Bless your heart. Yeah, one of the most taxing but rewarding years of my life. But what I I found was what was interesting was I don't know if you guys did this on purpose. And I know you had something to do with the editing and all the rest of this. But the four people that you had to me covered the four distinct things you need to cover in the NBA now. So I always looked at you as kind of the strategy expert, okay, that you, you could break down a play, you knew what was going on, you could have an intelligent conversation with Spo about that in a way that some of us could not. You had Haberstroh, who was the numbers analytics expert, which was kind of where the game was moving. You had Wallace, who was really good at sort of getting inside the personalities and getting to know the players. And then you had Windhorse, who was sort of the transaction expert, right, knew what was going on around the league and what might come next. And so I actually tried to try to use that as a blueprint because I'm like, I need to do all four of those things by myself because they have somebody who's really good at each of the four of them. And so in some ways, and, and I think Pat Riley spoke to this, I, I think after that first season or even after this, the second season, 
he did something strange, which is he praised the media. He talked about how good the coverage of the team had been and that the coverage had really advanced from where it had been. And I think that team forced the coverage of the NBA to get better, to get smarter, to get uh, more diverse, to not just be about they won, they lost, and this guy scored 27 points on seven, you know, on, on 11 of 28 shooting or something like that. I, I feel like the, the Heat, in a lot of ways, made the NBA consumers smarter, the NBA viewers smarter. I think they made NBA executives smarter because of the way that they had to react to what the Heat did. It was also one of the most intelligent teams I ever covered. Now you covered the teams before Ray Allen and Shane Battier got there, but that later, those later years, uh, heat teams where you had a Battier and Allen, a Bosch, a James Jones, a LeBron, you know, a Haslam, uh, you know, this was one of the smartest locker rooms, probably the smartest locker room I've ever covered. So I feel like they changed the game in ways, you know, that we don't always talk about. Plus Kevin, Social consciousness was something they, you know, the Trayvon uh, photo, the, uh, you know, all those other things that they did together, you know, with the hoodies and all of that stuff, um, you know, writing on the shoes, all the things. I, I, I feel like they, like you said, maybe uh, it's happened since, but I do feel like there, when we look back at the NBA, there's going to be a line of demarcation, pre-Big Three, post-Big Three. Without question. I mean, it, 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 and also, I, I do think, and, I, and I've said this a lot, that, kind of the self-determination of the NBA player. I mean, I think this notion prior to LeBron making that decision was, you know, the power rested in the league with these owners and, 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 and you know, in a case, you know, maybe a Pat Riley type, you know, sort of these luminary GMs. And they decided the balance of power in the league. Yes, the players themselves, you know, and, and their relative skill and quality determine who won and will lost basketball games. But in terms of the way power was sort of, exerted it was you know an owner it was a gm making a big trade or a big signing and i i think and it kind of goes part and parcel with with your kind of the social dynamics but you know lebron and those two guys were like no 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 no, no. you know we'll decide where and how and, and why we want you know to play and and i think I mean, obviously riley made this great pitch but it, from then on, it was that where do I want to go? It's it, it and I think it it totally flipped that whole power dynamic where players are now in charge of their own destiny. And if I want to take less and play with this friend of mine, or I want to go there, or I want to ask out a year ahead of my big summer free agency, um, and uh, you know I I can I can do that and, um. And it won't even even be a source of resentment. Now it's just business. I have every right to be as transactional in my thinking as a player that any owner or GM does in their thinking. Because I drive the value of the league. I am the player. You know, I always like, you know, and Michelle Roberts in some ways I think was sort of calling back to LeBron and, and then that team a few years ago when she said, look, I mean, these owners are ultimately are, are kind of replaceable, right? Like you just take one rich guy flip in another the league doesn't change you take away a lebron you know the, the league is completely impoverished right so um and that's not about kissing lebron's ass or anything i mean it's just a matter of fact that i think it was this was the moment we all figured out that well wait, the players drive the value of the league and like we always known that but like just it was put on display every night We'll get back to our episode here in a second, but first I want to tell you about our patron feed. If you're getting all of our free content, 
you know that you need more. So what we've done is we've tweaked our patron feed a little bit. You can find it on Podbean, which is a free app that you can get on the Apple App Store or on the Google Play Store. Basically, just go there and download Podbean for free and then subscribe to our feed. It's $3 per month. We're not going to give you a ton of long episodes there. We're going to give you our commentaries. We're going to be immediate. We're going to, Goran Dragic is out for two months. I did a commentary yesterday. We've got a Heat Lakers game that was compelling. You'll hear a commentary from one of the personalities in our network. So get to know our personalities. We're putting a ton of content on there every week on the Heat, on the Dolphins, on soccer, on youth sports, on everything. So check it out. Go to Podbean, download the app, and then subscribe to our Patreon feed. Also, Chris, I want to tell you about one of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is BetDSI.com. All you got to do is go to BetDSI.com and type in our promo code. That's Reason101. No S at the end. Reason101, and you'll get your initial deposit matched up to $2,500. What are we looking at this week? Well, the NFL does a great job of creating new gambling windows. So if you're sitting around on a Saturday afternoon and you fancy a bet on Titans in Washington, uh, Titans favored by 10, go on and do it. Uh, obviously, you got bowl games going on all throughout the week. We're uh, deep in the middle of bowl season. You wager on that. You've got uh, the Dolphins on Sunday. They are four-point favorites against the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday. So lots to gamble on every night in the NBA. Uh, you got futures as well, all kinds of great stuff. And hey, check it out again. Bet DSI.com, deposit as little as $200 and as much as $2,500 and get your deposit matched. Reason 101 is the promo code at BetDSI.com. So what do you make of the fact that now Pat Riley, as one of the luminaries, one of the guys that that are sort of the grand architects, is kind of struggling in this new world to really put together a, a team that has those kinds of players that are going to you know, enter pre-agency, as it's been dubbed, and kind of take control of the team. that He has a team right now that has none of those players, and while that might be sort of easier for him to control, it has his team a little bit threadbare in terms of talent. Yeah, I mean, their spreadsheet's kind of screwy. I mean, if you think about it, for, I mean, they've overachieved, and I, and I, I think in kind of really admirable ways the last couple of years. I and mean, Goran hurt, obviously. I mean, it's just not going to work. Um, you know, what's more troublesome, I think, right now is they have what? Like, they have like $55, million, $57 million next year committed to guys with options. So they don't even control sort of the fate of their budget. It's, you know, it's Goran, it's Tyler Johnson, it's Hassan Whiteside, each with player options. Um, they haven't found any. I think there was this notion that, oh, Miami's great and they're palm trees and every and it's, it's championships. And it's, an, it's a really culturally sound organization, which it is. Certainly every third year or so, some big free agent will say, yeah, that's where I'm playing. Because, hey, the Lakers are already committed to and somebody's already in this city and the Knicks are a disaster. And, yeah, Houston's already kind of got their core in Dallas. And eh, maybe, maybe not. But Miami will always kind of be one of those six teams that can always get the meeting and I mean I think they've suffered from a little bit of bad luck and some of that bad luck is self-generated I, mean, I think some of these recent deals have just hampered them I mean, they just have a ton of money committed to guys who aren't going to help them win championships who are in and of themselves decent players I mean um, but you know I mean if, if the answer to the question is we have a bunch of guys with player options and of course they're going to opt in well of course they're going to opt in is just you know sort of a euphemism for you gave them deals that were more favorable to them than they were to you. And if you're, hand, if you're in the business of handing out deals that are more favorable to the players on the back end than they are to you know, the ownership, then by definition, you're not making great transactions. And 
ironically and sadly, one of the better decisions, one of the only few really great, great decisions they've made in recent years budgetarily is not to sign Dwayne, you know, to that big deal that, that he initially wanted that drove him to Chicago, um, which was a sentimentally difficult but kind of financially and fiduciarily smart thing to do. Um, I, I, I like obviously I like the Winslow deal, and I think they've got him locked up in a nice number. Um, he's a really nice player. Obviously, the Josh Richardson deal is great, um, but it's just like where, I mean, if, if Miami taught us anything, it's that you need superstars to win a championship, right? Like. Every 20 years, that might not be the case, but you basically do. And right now, they're a team without a star or anything approaching a star. Yeah, and, and that's the big issue. And and so philosophically, I want to pose this to you. Uh, they're they're in a box this year. Uh, the highest that they can get in the East is six. I mean, that would be if everything broke right. And as you mentioned, Goran's out two months, and and so and God knows, you know, what he's going to be like when he comes back, or even, you know, what his status is going to be. He's as you mentioned, he has a player option. So we'll see how he decides to play it. Um, but the highest that they can get in the East is six. The best they can do in the draft lottery is probably also sixth, at least in terms of positioning prior to the lottery, because there are four teams in the East. They're not going to be worse then. Okay. And then there's one team in the West and we're going to get to the West with you in a second and how crazy it is with the top 14, but there's one team in the West, even with Phoenix winning their past four, as we speak here, that they're not going to be worse than. So they're going to be somewhere between sixth in the East or sixth in lottery position. If you were them right now, which direction would you try to go? I mean, I, I tend to be one of those. If you're not contending, you're rebuilding people. Um, that said, I, I'm starting to kind of appreciate the nuances of, of it's not always that easy. I mean, first of all, there's this one problem, which is like, like Justice Winslow is not going to do anything other than play 110% every night. Josh Richardson is not going to do that. Like Rodney Recruiter, like they have a bunch of guys who play really hard for the most part. I mean, they have a couple guys who don't necessarily play hard, but um, most, most of their team just exerts maximum effort. So like, and the other thing is, you know, one of the things with that budget, next year and sort of you know looking at everything they've committed you know it might be a case where what if there is a big free agent who is sort of lured by miami geographically no tax uh a really well professionally run organization i mean the heat are still the heat and in the imaginations of players and agents and anybody who knows this stuff, it is like it's, it's kind of where you, where you can find your best self as a player. And I mean, the fact that a lot of these guys have overachieved that we're talking about is, is something that. But like, okay, so what if they can get a marquee free agent? But now they need to move off Justice Winslow's money or Josh Richardson's money, and and to create whatever gymnastics need to be created uh, on the spreadsheet to make the room to get the guy. Well, you want Justice to be the best player he can be right now, right? Like you want Josh Richardson to be winning basketball games in the fourth quarter because the value of those guys, I mean, those are really favorable contracts. I mean, you know, I mean, they were in the hunt for Butler. I mean, if Josh Richardson isn't Josh Richardson, if he's just some schmo, like, you know, they're not even in that conversation. And it might come to the fact that they can package some nice players who are young, aggressive, two-way guys on favorable contracts you know imagine like winslow in richardson for something you know that opportunity may or may not present itself so on one hand i'm, I'm generally pro tank because like what are you playing for to be the sacrificial lamb in the first round i mean i granted those three dates or two dates can generate a, a few million dollars for a team like miami 
in terms of home revenue, but like I'd rather have the pick. At the same time, I want the guys that we're talking about to continue to enhance their value because the truth is, you know as well as I do, even to the average, reasonably decent NBA fan, like they couldn't pick Josh Richardson out of a lineup. And like I think that guy's a really good player, and he's one of the few assets the Miami Heat have in terms of their balance sheet. He and Justice, like at good deals long term, uh, locked up at nice numbers. But one of the things I really like listening to you when you when you go on Zach Lowe's podcast about is that you aren't you know obviously someone who's just focusing on the top teams. You have thoughts on all thirty teams, and you're watching all thirty teams. Uh, when when you watch Miami, I, I think one of the things that I've been a bit surprised by this year, obviously they've had the poor injury luck, but. I think there are times where they look even worse than I, what, what I had expected for them for this year. I kept joking when everyone was kind of looking forward to heat season that they'd go 43 and 39 because that's just who they've been. But they've at times this year been worse than that. When you see Miami, uh, where do you see the areas that they're deficient? Talent. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean let, let's just step back for a second, okay? Sure. Who is the best player on the Miami Heat? Well, when he's healthy, um, it's Goran Dragic. Mm, I don't know. Right, I mean, who's the best healthy player on the Miami Heat? Well, I, I, it's, it's probably Josh, but... But, you know, again, just okay. to, to, to just to bring up a point here, though, you know, before the season, we you know, they didn't have anybody in the top 50 in ESPN's list. They didn't have anybody on the top right. 50 on the other list. When Bill Simmons just did his 55, you know, uh, you know, best assets, his his trade column, no heat players. He had Winslow and Richardson's, uh, you know, none of the top 55. He had Winslow and Richardson, you know, as others receiving votes. I mean, the Heat are in others receiving votes franchise right now, which is, yeah. is one of the crazy things when, when you talk about, when we're talking about them being, the, you know, the franchise that basically changed the NBA. And now they're the franchise. They just got checked off of a, of a, uh, of a TNT game. I mean, they have one tonight against Houston as we're speaking, but they got checked off one in January, um, I believe. So, they're just the franchise that nobody's paying any attention to right now. So the answer to your question is, I guess their best player is Josh Richardson as a two-way guy, but we've seen him wear down over the past month with a little bit more of a burden. Yeah, I mean, and that, that to me is, I mean, I still think they're actually overachieving relative to talent. I mean, the fact that you're even talking about them as six in the East when, like, you know, Goran is hurt. And, you know, I, I think, look, they made a calculated decision a few years ago to pay Hassan. Whiteside. I'm not making Hassan Whiteside a, a scapegoat. I mean, Hassan Whiteside should command whatever Hassan Whiteside should command. Good for him. Um, you know, when they, they, they paid Tyler a lot of money and, by the way, gave these guys options. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Miami Heat. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. And, you know, far be it from me. I mean, these are just, you know, these are just critiques. I mean, I, I don't think it was outlandish or terrible, whatever. I mean, these are all guys who in a vacuum you can say, hey, you know, I mean, that, that's a nice player. Um, I mean, Hassan got to, you know, you say earn that money. I mean, Tyler earned that money. Um, you know, but I just think that they probably needed to detonate a couple of years ago. And I think if you gave them truth serum, they would tell you that. Um, they had guys like Justice and Josh, and, and again, I give the organization a lot of credit. I mean, they turned a lot of, you know, sort of marginal players into really good NBA players. I mean, there's some there's some value to that, and I do think in the kind of longer game, this is still a really well-run organization. It's still an exceptionally well-coached team, but yeah, I mean, I think they made a decision to sort of quote stay competitive, and in the process, you know, that's the thing. But to me, what, where are they deficient? It's like they have no talent. <laughs> I mean, right, do you, I mean, right. they just, and I don't mean that like as a nod. Yeah, I know like, those guys yeah. get the most. Like, I got in trouble with like the Toronto fan base a few couple of years ago when I said I thought that the team, everyone was like, oh, they can never win. I'm like, I think they've overachieved. Like, this mm-hmm. is a 45 win team, the Raptors with DeRozan and Lowry and whoever it was, and like everyone in Toronto and those fans are really sensitive, but kind of went crazy. Like, how do you say that? That I was like, no, like if if a team of marginal talent is even in the conversation for a six seed in their conference. Like mm-hmm. that is an expression of a great player development system, great coaching, you know, a good eye. You're getting these guys where you got them either they were undrafted or late first or second or whatever, you know. And I just think that, like, I mean, that's just the problem is, is they, you know, they haven't gotten one of those. Again, the irony is for the Miami Heat as a franchise, the franchise that taught us how vital it was to have superstar, super, super, superstar talent is subsisting on some really interesting young players who nevertheless won't break the top 50 in any poll. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's the big problem. And and what you mentioned here about, you know, that we're even talking about them as a six seed in the East. I mean, a lot of that is just circumstantial because, well, the East, right. So, so I want to get to that with you too, because as we're talking here, all right, the, the Western conference has 14 teams between 21 and 9 which is the nuggets as as we're speaking and the wolves who are 14 and 17. So you've got you've got 14 teams separated by seven and a half games. So two questions on this Kevin. One, why is this happening? Uh you know, because the west has been competitive but not to this level where there's parity in them be, in it being competitive. It's been in recent years, you know, the Warriors and then a couple of challengers and then some teams kind of that are pretty good and then it falls off. And this year it hasn't fallen off. And second, what do you what if anything do you do as a league about this when we've been talking about this east-west split now? 
basically since what 1999 i think was was one of the yeah. last times that that the, that the eighth seed in the east actually had a better record than the ac in the west so this is a 20-year cycle so why why are we seeing this in the west where again we as we speak we have three teams separated between you know one game of each other and then you have to go all the way down to uh the 11th seed kings and grizzlies uh, to find a team, uh, you know, th- they're 16 and 15. You got to go all the way to Jazz at 15 and 17 in the 12th spot to find a team that's under 500. Right. So, I mean, there are a couple of different questions. I mean, one is, is why does this keep happening? And I just think that there's sort of a concentration of very well run organizations in the West just by sheer chance. That's geographically where these like well managed teams are. Um, number two, I would say this yes, there is this imbalance, but I don't think it's unfair to say that five of the six or seven best teams in basketball right now might be in the east like well this weird things happened where i love the top of the east it used to be like whichever team lebron's on and then like one other guy like team mm-hmm. like oh the bulls for a while or the pacers were interesting or you know the celtics the last couple of years you know like so i mean on one hand the east while still being you know crapola also has like like i mean indiana's good I mean, I was in Indianapolis last week. Like, that's a good team. And, I mean, I think it's fair to say if you're 21 and, you know, they they, 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 they would be, you know, in that sort of Thunder, Warriors, Nuggets mix in the, in, the, in, the, in the West. So the good news is, like, the one through five situation in the East is very nice. Like, why is all the crap concentrated at the bottom in the East? Like, it's so unsatisfying to say it, but I just think it's sort of just coincidence. I mean, obviously <laughs> – I would say this. The East is not helped by the fact that the Knicks, who should be this powerhouse, like by virtue of market, venue, mm. you know, name and everything. Like Chicago, the, too. The, the, that, right, Chicago. Like So you have these two big – the two biggest market teams in the East that should by reputation and by their command and the fan imagination and player imagination should be awesome, right? Like we should never look up and like – the Chicago Bulls should never really truly have to rebuild or suffer more than a couple of seasons of decrepitude, right? Like, like the Knicks should not be hellacious forever. And so that hurts, right? So on one hand, you've got like, like the teams that should be anchoring, you know, the Heat are sort of in this sort of weird phase. And even though it's, it's not one of the biggest, biggest market teams, it's a pretty big market. And in, in terms of sort of kind of charisma, it's a big market. So I do think there's that, like the Nets, right? Like they should theoretically be better. And I think they will be like, I think in 10 years, like the Nets will be a place people want to play and a really good organization and all that. But like, so I do think it's sort of somewhat of a chance where you have like Oklahoma city should be a crap, like, right. Like who wants to play there? Small market. Oh, but it's run by Sam Presti and an ownership group that knows to get the hell out of the way. So like the thunder are kind of permanently good, right? Like Portland, Okay, never going to be a world beater, but just every year you look up, they win 48 games and they're really solid. And we, you know, part of that conversation. Why? Well, because ownership has always been willing to spend beyond the tax and, you know, they've got a good GM and, you know, they drafted a couple of guys from small schools who ended up being like this great backcourt. You know, the Spurs. I mean, San Antonio, Texas should not have a great sports team, right? (laughs) But you have a 25 year reign of, so they're in the West and just by virtue of chance and, you know, who knows if, if, you know, Greg Popovich had ended up at the Indiana Pacers or with the Atlanta Hawks, we'd have a different conversation, you know? So I do think that some of it is just kind of the luck of really good management and ownership situations have landed in the West. Whereas it's been a clown show in Atlanta with, you know, with the Levinson ownership group. And now they're sort of recovering from that, you know, you know, Detroit just hasn't really done anything since, 
you know, Larry Brown and, and, and that era, you know, the Wizards are a clown show historically. I mean, how many conference finals have they been in? I don't, when's the last time the Washington Bullets or Wizards was in a conference final? Well, that's like the seventh largest market in this country. Like the Washington, D.C. area should, by all virtues, have a great NBA team, right? Just what that market is like in terms of imagination, in terms of demographic, in terms of, I mean, how the hell does Washington not take advantage of like the Obama years to build a winner in Washington? <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. like how cool that would have been with like, like, a, you know, baller in chief? At like wizard conference <laughs> final games. I mean, come on, like they screwed that opportunity up. You know, so it's like, you know, it, it just, so I think a lot of it is just weird coincidence that we, we happen to have a league of 30 teams where managerial talent is distributed oddly in places like Texas and like, you know, markets like Salt Lake and Portland are just really competent, even though they're tiny. And you have markets like Washington, Atlanta, New York, Chicago, which can't get out of their own way, and it's just a total fluke. All right, so in terms of those East teams, uh, which of them do you trust the most right now, and do you think any of them have a real chance of beating Golden State? I mean, I think they have a marginal chance of beating Golden State. Also, you know, Golden State's nimble, I mean, um, but they're also they're also brittle, and, you know, Curry could, we've seen, is, is not gone the last couple of seasons. What if one of those injuries happens in an April or May situation? Right. Like what if Draymond gets hurt? What if so I think injury, they're just vulnerable enough that an injury could really make them um could make them vulnerable in a in a final series. Um I kind of trust I, I trust the Raptors now with Kawhi, just because I just think in terms the upgrade over DeRozan is just not spoken about enough. Like, oh, it's the same team last year. No, no, no. Like they didn't swap out an all star for an all star. They swapped out a guy who, while I like fondly as a person, is just does not really help you win big playoff games or for that matter it's just not all that like a mid-range guy who doesn't play defense versus a six seven big-handed two-way player with an who's an absolute force on both ends um and by the way have gotten just deeper and deeper and deeper like pascal siakam is almost becoming this draymond green kind of four swiss army knife and like as we're watching right fed van bleed last night was just incredible and kyle lowry's absence you know they're just really deep and really, really, really good, and um, and they kind of know who they are, and they're they're good on both ends. So I, I trust them. I think Boston, when it's all over, is going to be really good, tough. They're going to be a tough out. I mean, they're just kind of figuring it out. And oh, you know, I know they lost a, a stupid game last night when they had like nobody over six eight available to play for them. But um, you know, I, I I do like them, and I I just think the Bucks are really interesting. I I don't know what it is, and it's just being around Giannis, and I just spent a week with them. But like, that's a team, and it's it's too, the the returns. It's too early to completely appraise them one way or the other. I just like give me a top three talent who's uber competitive. Give me a system that works. They play on both ends. They've got good size and length. Like. I just think they have closers beyond even Giannis. Like, I just think it's like a, like just being around them, they just feel competent. Like it works. Um, you know, there, there, there are no putzes in the locker room. Like it's just, it's just kind of, and I know it's Milwaukee and it's hard to hit our hand around the idea that they could be a contender because it's just been the bucks for so long. But like, I just kind of believe it. And if you told me they were representing the East in the finals this season, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blanch like that's just that could be they might be the best team in the conference. Kevin, you said top three player for Giannis. So right now, who's the best player in the game? Well, I mean, it's that old question. Like LeBron's the best player in the game until otherwise. 
wise, right? Like one, like is is the question one game? If the question's one game, it's LeBron, right? Mm-hmm. Until further notice, and there will be further notice. Like the guy's going to get old at some point. He is going to age theoretically, at least. You know, <laughs> um, you know, if you're talking about hey, a seasoned body of work. You know, possession by possession doesn't need to take any time off. Like you know, I mean, Giannis and AD and Steph, if he's healthy, is sort of an asterisk, right? Like. I just think like, like that that sort of group, but I just think Giannis is there. Like mm. in terms of you, if, if if the definition is durability, two wayness, um, what you can do, eight in the shot clock, everything else is sort of all hands on deck. You need I, I, like I just think, and I know he can't shoot from distance, and I the crazy thing is, does it even matter at this point? I mean, mm. obviously it will matter, and in the playoffs, so we're not going to guard. The thing is, if you don't guard him, he'll just take the one step and go to the bucket i mean that's this isn't rajon rondo or tony allen here you you don't have to guard them like Mm -hmm. yeah i I guess you have to account for the fact you know you you can but you know that's the thing with Giannis is it doesn't even matter um that he can't shoot from 20 feet like or 23 for that matter so um but 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 that's kind of fascinating to me kevin because we're we're in a game where everybody's shooting threes right like houston made as we're speaking where they make 26 threes last night i think they took 50 something 56 before they come into miami and you have two of the most dynamic players in the eastern conference who both might be starting in the all-star game who can't shoot at all (laughs) yeah Giannis and simmons cannot i mean simmons won't even attempt it at least Giannis seems to be doing it just for the hell of it, like to shoot 14% from three, but okay, I'll take one or two a game just, you know, just to keep people honest. Simmons doesn't even at all. How, how has this happened in a game where the entire league has moved towards, you know, 50% of our shots are going to be three. And then you still have two of the most dynamic. And I know Simmons is not at Giannis's level yet, but he has a chance to get there ultimately as young as he is. How is that happening? Well, I mean, so, you know, if you ask Brett Brown this question about Ben Simmons, he'll just say, look, it's LeBron the first two years of his career, right? Like, like that guy couldn't shoot. I mean, the idea that LeBron would fire up a three-pointer in 2004 would have just been unthinkable. And that this is the trajectory, right? Like, they're in the evolution of a guy who learned to be a good 38, 39, 37, 38%, three-point shooter, there was a moment where he couldn't shoot. And, yes, more proactive guys come in the league and can shoot, but Ben isn't there yet, and he'll get there. And it'll happen over time. It'll happen over a 10-year period like it did for LeBron. I mean, that's what he would say. I mean, this whole LeBron step-back thing is a relatively new thing. I mean, I don't even think in like his first year in, in Miami, he was doing a hell of a lot of outside shooting. So that, that's what Brett Brown would tell you about Ben Simmons. I mean, I think Giannis, um, I mean, it's a work in progress. You know, he was like 27, 28%, which is terrible. It's not kidding us, but, but like – but 28% is not that far from 35, 36, right? Like, like, you know, Paul Millsap, Al Horford, these guys who kind of did it over time, who were of, of kind of power forward size, you know, that that's on the trajectory. And he just hasn't been there this year, whether because he's, you know, for whatever reason, but, but it's, it's still, I think he'll get to be, I think Giannis at some point will be at 35, 36, you know, that, that acceptable Mendoza line mark of, okay, this guy can hurt you um, if he's left unguarded three-point shooter the thing about the difference between philadelphia and milwaukee and why i like milwaukee more than philadelphia is milwaukee's like okay he can't shoot all right we're good. but you know what he can do he can pass better than anybody and we're just going to surround him with nothing but three-point shooters like every single guy on that roster and i mean every single guy on that roster from brooke lopez splash mountain to urson Ilyasova, to every guard every wing sterling brown doesn't matter can shoot a three. And so if you converge even for a second, so basically you have a choice, play him one-on-one. So yeah, he can't shoot the three. He doesn't have to necessarily because the minute you stunt, the minute you help, 
he will find that guy who can. Like, and that's what's brilliant, I think, about a Buttonholzer system is that it is a system, right? Like, if you compensate here, they'll find it. In Philadelphia, other than J.J. Redick, you know, Butler's not a great long-range shooter. I know he hits some of these big shots, but whatever. You know, like, like Embiid, yeah, he's got some stretch for a big man. He's still, like, in the low 30s, right? Like, it's just not a great – I mean, obviously, let's not, the less we talk about folds, the better. But like, there's just no one on that team that really gives them – and that, and whereas Giannis, they go out and basically say, okay, this is a problem theoretically. Let's let's just address it. How do we compensate? And they just go out and basically make sure their two through twelve guys all are really good shooters. I think I think Philly are just short NBA caliber players that can you know play in a playoff game at this point. If you look at just their minutes distribution, you know, playing Mike Muscala regular minutes, uh, and, and and just the guys they're bringing off the bench, it's just I I don't think that they have enough good players. But uh, a team that you could you could have maybe thought that uh, going into the year was, was the Los Angeles Lakers, and you're out in LA, and you mentioned the the circus of being there, and uh, Eric Spolstra the, the other day was uh, talking about how every year you can pencil in uh, LeBron for twenty six seven and seven. This year, it's 28-8-7. and seven. Uh, He's taking more threes than he ever has in his NBA career. You mentioned how in Miami, he got to a point where he's shooting them efficiently, but he's never shot at, vol- at volume like this. What do you make of the way that he and they have come on since they started poorly? I mean, it's not, it, it's not a huge surprise, right? Like a LeBron team is hanging around fourth or fifth and is going to win 60% of their games or more, right? Like that, that's pretty much been the formula. So there's no, you know, for all of his, ooh, the supporting cast, I mean, you know, after Kyrie left Cleveland, that wasn't exactly, you know, great last season. Um, and they got to a, you know, they, they won a conference final. So um, I, I think one is he's shooting more. And I think that's as much an expression of, of conservation as it is proficiency, right? Like it just takes less effort to fire up a three and the guy works at it and he's gotten pretty damn good at it. And, you know, every mile or, drive that is spared when you can kind of get a decent percentage shot from three is a little more in the tank for when you actually will need to sort of, you know, put the, put your head down and put the ball on the ground and go. So I I think this is kind of all part of the LeBron conservation project Um, is that I, you know, perimeter shooting, you know, it's something that I wonder had Dwayne really ever been able to master would his final few years look different? And I don't think there's any tragedy. I mean, Dwayne's amazing. and He's in a Hall of Fame guard and go down as one of the greatest shooting guards of all time. I wonder, you know, for instance, had he, like if, if Dwayne could have ever gotten in the high 30s, I don't think he's ever been there. I haven't looked at his numbers recently. No, but a guy who could basically fire up 11, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 threes a game and have a good chance of making four, five, or six of them, you know, would he have been more impactful for longer and so i do think that's sort of the thing with lebron i mean they're interesting i think they're exactly where they'll finish like four five or six and i think you know they'll be a really tough out and you and and when we start looking in march and you have guests on your show the conversation will be nobody wants that team in the first round right like do you really want to be a four seed having to play the lakers at five or vice versa and the answer is going to be absolutely not when you could get denver or whoever ends up sort of sneaking up there, or Portland figures out how to turn it around or whatever. Like, I mean, the Lakers are just going to be ridiculous out because of LeBron. But, like, I think balls, I mean, they're also a top 10 defensive team, which to me is the most interesting thing. You know, they're not a great offensive team. The pieces are a little awkward. 
but like somehow, some way, they've been kind of a number 10, 9, 10, 11 hanging around there defensively. And like that to me, for all Luke Walton and all the crap he's gotten, like look at the personnel and look at the overall performance. And they are just, they play, they, they defend without fouling. You know, they, 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 they are not a bad one-on-one defensive team. It's a little sketchy when it gets into kind of team concepts, but by and large, it kind of works. And like, to me, that's been the greatest surprise. So let's go to the big story that's going on with the Lakers, which is never about now anymore. It's always about, okay, who's next? So this week, LeBron said it would be pretty awesome, basically, if Anthony Davis came out to Los Angeles. And and so, you know, everybody started to get the alarm bells on that one. How, but Anthony Davis has never publicly asked out. So how, how do you see that situation playing out? And if you were another team, would you make a move for Davis now? And if you're New Orleans, do you move him sooner rather than later if you have a fear of losing him? Well, all right. So the free agency is the summer of 2020. So they've got till they can do this next summer. If, if Davis says to them, hey, we gave it another shot this year. We crapped out. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to let you guys know my intentions to be elsewhere. You know, when my deal is up in 2020, you know, then I think you can. So there's no hurry. They don't need to do this today. Um, furthermore, the team that I that is going to have the most attractive package most likely is the Boston Celtics. Problem is they can't trade for Davis while Kyrie's on their roster because um, of a weird, again, you, you, the usual CBA technicalities that you can't, I guess, trade for two different, is it, not, not the Supermax guys, and, and this is where I'm not Kevin Pelton and, and wish I was, um, <laughs> but, but the guys with those, those, that, that designation, right? And so it's a little bit tricky there, right? They'd have to move off of Kyrie if they wanted to trade, and I don't think you know, Kyrie, for, you know, it, it doesn't make sense for the New Orleans to trade for a guy who wouldn't sign there long term. Right. Um, Because he's a free agent. So I I think the answer is it will happen this summer. And yeah, if I'm but LeBron is very calculated, as we all know. And and let's think of it more as a as an invitation uh, than an expression of desire. Right. Like it's just kind of um, I, I think it's probably somewhat coded language to the Lakers. Like, hey, you know, you've been really conservative. You're not going to trade for Kawhi. You're not going to trade for Paul George. These guys will come in free agency. They always do. They accept that they don't. Um, I'm just putting it out there that, you know, we are going to need some major impact additives. Like, we, we, this is a transitional year, but you need to get serious about identifying top 10 talents in this league who will come and play alongside me and figure out what you need to do logistically, what sort of machinations need to happen on the spreadsheet, what recruitment, Magic Johnson and your big broad smile and this sort of Laker aura and all the rest of it. You can talk about it all you want. I, we need to execute transactions that get top talents here. And I think that's what LeBron was saying. He basically, he, like, he basically traded KCP, who, who, is, who, is, who, who is a client of his agency, actually. If you, if you, yeah. if you listen to that interview, it's like, I'm all for clutch unless AD is interested. Kevin, what interests me about it is as much as he hates Trump, he does the same thing Trump does. Like when Trump was basically telling the Russians to check Hillary's emails, like with a public statement, he was basically telling Anthony Davis, yeah, come. Yeah, Lakers come. So uh, he does a lot of this stuff uh, through the media. He always has. It's it's always telegraph language. 
Yeah, yeah, and look, I mean, this is not a, a you know, kind of uh, using media platforms uh, to for, for personal agenda is not a partisan uh, uh, <laughs> skill. Um, it, it's certainly not limited, and it far predates uh, any 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 of this. Um, but uh, yo, know, I mean, that that's what's so interesting about LeBron and going back to the earlier conversation and self determination of the athlete and sort of we're in control, you're not in control, is that. Yeah, exactly. And, and and by the way, I, I don't have any – look, I mean, you know, I, I feel for AD who has to go and answer Zach Lowe's questions yesterday, like, well, uh, how do I feel about this? I'm just worried about my team. I mean, you know, that's between AD and, 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 and LeBron, and I, I suspect, you know, I don't know what kind of guy AD is on this. Problem. I mean, I would be like, dude, just can you – can you can I not deal with this in Milwaukee on a Wednesday night? Thank you. But I do think that, like, he's got a point, right? Like, there is this Laker exceptionalism – that like that the bus family and 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 magic and by extension Palinka kind of engage in like we don't need to trade for Paul George. Now I don't I don't know that trading for Paul George we can debate whether that would have been the right or wrong thing to do. But the the, the thinking was he'll come here when it's time. Why do we give up assets for a guy who wants to sign here? Well he didn't. You know Kawhi. Well we, we, why give up assets for a guy we can just sign in the off season? And they're all indications that actually Kawhi doesn't prefer the Lakers necessarily we'll see but like and and so you keep getting into these situations or and by the way like you know if you want to take a guy like Brandon Ingram who I'm still a fan of but is really struggling and I'm you know starting to lose a little faith you know there's something to be said that you would have he had a lot more value five months ago than he does today mm-hmm. and so I just think it's LeBron's way of saying like I did my part which is sign my name on the dotted line you guys need to do your part now you know, I can recruit, I can do this. I'll, I'm still like, I am, my presence alone is my part, right? You get to basically go and tell talented basketball players, you want to play with LeBron? Okay, that's my part. Your part is getting the work done. And I'm not suggesting he's frustrated, but I do think it's his signal. And I don't blame him one bit. Like, you know, they did a great job luring LeBron James there. And you can credit maybe, it was it the Lakers' legacy? Was it their brilliant management? Or was it the city? Like, they get a lot. They get to take credit for it. Congratulations, Lakers. You did it. You got LeBron to L.A. You know, and if, if, that's, if that was the goal, that's great. But the truth of the matter is, is what else really have you done to better your basketball franchise since signing Kobe to that terrible final contract that they kind of had to do, right? And the answer is, you haven't drafted exceptionally well. Kuzma's been a nice spot. Lonzo is going to be a decent player, but I think he will not justify the two pick, right? Like you have this ragtag group of one-year free agents. That makes sense because you're keeping your cap powder dry. I get it. But like, I think it's, it's LeBron's way of saying, don't stop taking victory laps and talking about the restoration of Laker glory and start doing things that the smarter management teams in the league know how to do. Mm-hmm. Like the Heat used to do, which I think is a good place to close this. Um, follow him at Kevin Arnovitz. Also check him out on ESPN. ESPN, the magazine, and of course, uh, Pack the Knives, which is a podcast. Pack your knives. Pack, oh, I'm sorry. Not just pack anyone's knives. Pack your knives, which is a podcast about Top Chef. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Fire Ranger podcast. Thank you so much.